FruitRadio.com. Mountain Fruit. For over 15 years, Mountain Fruit has been the preferred grocery for the discerning kosher consumer, providing meat, fish, and produce departments, delicious takeout, and so much more. Visit us today, 1523 Avenue M, or call us for free delivery, 855-MT-FRUIT. Also inquire about our member program, Mountain Fruit, the peak of quality, 1523 Avenue M, 855-MT-FRUIT. Visit us online at shopmountainfruit.com. We're on. Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And uh, tonight I think we have a good show. We definitely uh, owe you the piece that I wanted to do on the Venus Ockham problem, the uh, question that came up in the OU about a certain production. And we're going to discuss it at length. I think it's a beautiful thing to understand. It teaches us a lot about cheese, about kosher cheese, uh, what kind of concerns we have. It teaches us how a conscious organization will analyze a question that comes up. And I think it will be satisfying to all the types of people who are listening, whether you understand all the lumbus or the halakhic background or you don't, I think you'll be able to appreciate quite a bit. In addition, I hope to be able to give you a couple of updates uh, several updates that came up very, very recently, not, not more than a few minutes ago. And just yesterday, I received a very, very interesting thing. I don't know if you've been following it. There's been a major, I mean, again, it doesn't affect all of us because uh, many of us have already followed our rabbis and don't uh, get lost in this question. But there has been a raging issue about whether or not all the chickens that we eat are kosher. Uh, at least as they're acceptable to be eaten. And the reason being that the tradition um, of whether or not this is a kosher bird and not a kosher bird has some questions attached to it. And it was a raging issue in 2017. It hit the, hit the fan, as they say, and it, it went viral, viral. And it was uh, definitely something that uh, upset a lot of people. Um, in certain communities, they were very careful about it. But in general, I would say that most of us are still doing whatever we were doing before, and I don't think that uh, that many people that are listening to me have stopped eating chicken. However, the, the, those who did, or if they heard about this whole thing, the very, very interesting solution that just came up, I would call it a solution, I, I would say it's a solution, but uh, it's a very, very interesting thing that just came up, and I just heard of it yesterday, two days ago, I can't remember anymore, and uh, we wrote up something about it, so go into the Cautious Magazine, and I'll share with you a little bit of that very, very interesting story uh, a little later on. So let's start with the question. Here's the question that appears in Dafa Cautious, the current one. It's uh, from, uh, they call it, Chav uh, Zion, number seven, Elul Cheshvan, September to November 2019. That's the latest one. We haven't gotten another one since then. Now, this Dafa Kashrus is a product of the OU. You can get it. It costs nothing. It's all in English. Of course, this kind of a thing that I'm telling you is a little bit complicated, and therefore it's, you know, it's for the, that's this for the B'nai Torah, but, it, but the general information is very, very, very solid information, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful publication put out by the OU. Rabbi Grossman puts it out, and if you're interested in getting a copy, Send him an email, Grossman, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N, at O-U dot O-R-G, and tell him you want to get Dr. Kashrus emailed. I don't think they'll send it to you in the mail. They, start, they don't do that too much. And uh, basically, they try to get this because email doesn't cost them anything. Now, this question was a real question. And Rabbi Gersten, Rabbi Eli Gersten, who is, uh, you, they call him the uh, recorder of O-U and policy. A very interesting gentleman has he has on his fingertips all of this Torah that is based that the halachas and the sukkim of the OU are based upon, and he works together with the rabbinical advisors, the uh, the the, the, uh, the the what they call halachic advisors. You might call them poskim, and um, and he formulates with them and codifies it 
and keeps records of it, and that's what the OU will keep doing for years and years to come. You know, 30 years from now, a question comes up, they push a certain button, and they come up not only with the PSAC they came up with, but the rationale for that PSAC and all the sources and all the rebuttal that they asked and how they handled it. And then if they, it's very rarely going to be changed after that because that's grandfathered in already once something has been accepted. So let me go over this question. It's a very interesting one. There was a factory, real-life real story, a factory that makes kosher cookies on baking trays. The company ran a trial of crackers with cheese, and that's greenest Occam cheese, not kosher cheese. And then they baked the kosher cookies. Now, the question is, not, not the oven. That really is not so scary. It's the trays. Now, the trays would, would, would absorb from the cheese. And the trays, if it's greenest Occam, would become trays. And then if you made your cookies on that within the next 24 hours, hot in the oven at, I don't know, 400 degrees, 300 degrees, whatever the numbers are, it's certainly going to be hot enough to, to burn in Venus Akum into the cookies. So the question is whether they had to throw it all out. So the, uh, the Meshkiach realized it, and he asked the manager. The manager said they used disposable trays for the cheese crackers. That was his answer. They threw out the, the trays. There's no, there's no more trays. That's what he said. Uh, he showed the mashkiach a pile of used disposable trays. There was no way for the mashkiach to verify that these were the only trays that they used. Because maybe they used some of the others. Now, kashrin trays of this nature, it's an evolved process, and uh, they already produced some cookies with the with trays that they had in stock there. So now we have a question whether or not that production has to be stopped, has to be thrown out, etc. Now, you may ask the question, no one is asking but you might ask the question, how could they get away with this? Well, I hate to tell you, I, I know you don't like to hear this, but Kashrus is very, very much a mop-up operation. Unfortunately, most of the questions come up after the fact because it's real life, and in every facility, there are, there are things that could make the foods not kosher or make it a part of a facility, make it dairy, etc. I still remember going, this was a wild experience. I was in, I was in Muncie, and they shouldn't give away too much. I was in Muncie, and uh, somebody wanted to sh be showing me around. He's a friend of mine who works up in Kashmir over there, and he shows me around, and he showed me a production in a plant over there. I mean, how big of the plant? You know, it's not a gigantic plant. And, and they were producing, believe it or not, kushal or pesach. I forgot if it was cookies or something or other. Some kind of kushal or pesach food. And I look in, in the, not far away, not, I'm not joking about this. People wouldn't believe it, what I'm going to say is true. In not far away, to open the door and go through that room or to over there, you know, with, let's say, I mean, I think it was a door, but it, 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 maybe 20 feet, 30 feet from where the production is for Pesach, I see pretzels. Because this is a plant that makes, makes things that use pretzels, chocolate-covered pretzels. And they also use, they also make some nash for Pesach. And here I see this, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that one of the first things that we learned, I learned about kashas. You know, I never did kashas, but I, I learned it. So one of the first things I was taught was how you have to get the trace, or in this case the pace of the, the, the comets, you have to get things out of the way so nobody will end up using them by mistake. They're coming in contact with it by mistake. That's the first rule of thumb. Like if you go to a, a, a hotel and they, they do and they do a kosher simcha or or a dinner or something at a kosher at a non-kosher hotel, well you have to make sure that the non-kosher stuff is locked up or is properly protected that you don't end up that you don't end up uh, taking that 
the the product, you know, they don't end up coming in contact with non-kosher things or somebody grabbing a spoon. So the only way is if you lock up the non-kosher. And in this particular case that I saw, the pretzels were right nearby. And they were, and the, this rabbi who gives Ashkaka was considered to be very, uh, not, to my, not my friend, the, the rabbi who was giving Ashkaka on that plant seems to be, has a very, very good name. And I don't understand how he let them get away with that, or if he was aware or not. I was very, very surprised. Anyway, so what happened here, so that's what goes on in every plant. In other words, let's say in a, in a place uh, they're, making, they're, they're processing meat. Let's say in a small near you, they're processing meat. So what, what could go wrong, right? What could go wrong with the meat in a, in a, in a in a store owned by some people in the middle of Borough Park and Flatbush. I say that because I live now in Lakewood. It was little Lakewood. There it is. There's Flatbush, Lakewood, wherever you live. How is it possible that this is going to become a problem? So I'll tell you what I saw. In Borough Park, I saw them drinking coffee with milk in it. Whatever it is. And they're having a coffee, and they like their coffee with, with milk. So I saw it myself. And I didn't say to them, spill it. Maybe they're very careful, and maybe if they spilled it, they'll do something about it. I'm not saying what, but whatever they would do. And, but still, you are exposed in almost all the facilities to something that's going to bring down kosher. And that's why a lot of the kosher is mop-up after the fact. But thank God there was somebody standing there in the factory, in this particular factory, when they were making the cookies, a mashkiach was there. Yo, you had a mashkiach on premises because they require it. A lot of places, there's no mashkiach at all. And uh, he comes in, he comes in once a month. So it's a very, very interesting uh, story so far. So what happens is the, 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 if the regular trays were used with the cheese, they would have become, they would still be ben yomo, they would still be within 24 hours. So now what's the status? of these cookies. Because remember, we don't know that they used anything non-kosher, that they used uh, the, 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 the trays from the non-kosher cookies to make the cookies that have the yo-yo. We don't know that. So we, we don't have to assume that, do we? Um, now, by the way, this maybe never happened. I don't say it happened, but they were gonna, you'll see in the end it probably did happen. So, do we have to be concerned at all? Remember, we have a rule. The rule is suffix the rabbanu lakula, something that is rabbinic in nature. So if it's a suffix with a doubt, it never happens. Now, in general, we have a rule also that is a chazaka. We have a cheskas kashras. If we start out with something that was kosher, you've got to tell me why it's not kosher. Yes, if they would use the non-kosher trays, you're right. But there was a story here, possibly there are no non-kosher trays. And even if there are non-kosher trays, who says they were used on these? And then maybe they're bottled below and shishim and whatever. So what, why are we all getting so hyper about this Gavina Sako? That's a, a question. Is, are, we, are we overly, con- are we too concerned? Is it the right amount of concern? What's going on over here? So see, Gavina Akum, non-kosher cheese, has a different status than all other rabbinic types of, or almost all other rabbinic laws. Euclidus Akum has a status of like it's an Torah. It's like it's forbidden from the Torah. Now we're going to see why. The Gemara is in the Zara. It tells discussion in the Mishnah. It's a it's Zara, Parik base Mishnah Hay. It's a discussion. And Rabbi Yishmael asked Rabbi Yoshua, why do we have the, the gazera of the Venus Akum? Why can't I eat non-kosher, a non-Jewish cheese? And not, they're not necessarily trace. Maybe I could, maybe that's kosher. Why can't I eat it? So there were a number of answers given in that Mishnah, and there were a number of discussions going on it. And here were the possible things, why, possible reasons why they would forbid us to eat cheese that didn't, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't under Jewish control from beginning to end. 
Number one, they might have used non-kosher animal rennet, which is what the way they used to make cheese, and you know, until until very very recently, that's the only way that they were making it. Another is that they might have drops of chol of akum, that the milk was from the non-Jewish milk, not necessarily from a pig, but just that it was a container that didn't have chol of Israel. Maybe they used regular what we call chol of stam, and they made the cheese with it. And maybe so cholavakum. If that's what, if cholavakum is a problem, so then then you're not allowed to eat cholavakum. So that that could be the reason why the cheese is not permitted. The other thing is they might have taken the cheese and smeared it with animal fat, which was very common in the old days. That there was a smear, like we have, we do with, we, we put something like a, we we see some cheeses come with a with a certain uh, almost a crust on the outside, and that that. That was caused by something that was added on the outside. It was not. It was applied to the outside of the cheese. Number four is the cheese might have been set with yayanesach, or the vinegar from yayanesach, or sap from oil. Any crazy thing could be there. Shulchan Aruch says that the reason we're concerned really is that maybe they use nevela. Nevela is an animal that wasn't shechted properly. It's a kosher-type animal, a cow, let's say, but it wasn't shechted properly. It died. The shechita was no good. Something like that. Which is, which is every animal that the non-Jew is eating. He's, if he eats a cow, he has hamburger, if he has a piece of meat that's uh, from a cow, or a beef, steer, whatever it is, a beef burger, so that would be, we call nevela. So if he used nevela in creating this cheese, taking the rennet from there, that would be the concern. The reason why that's the issue is, and it's not a question about uh, shrita. Let's say he, he uh, bought kosher meat and he made rennet out of kosher meat, there would be a different issue because kosher meat, when it's mixed with milk, would be only forbidden from the Torah if it was cooked together. But if it's just uh, made into a cheese using salt and and some stirring and uh, pressing and then a mold and this and that. The whole procedure is going to probably not be an isadoraisa, but an isadorabonin. Mixing milk is isadorabonin. But if it was not kosher meat, then it would make it an isadorabonin. Now, again, all this thing never happened. We're talking about cheese that you buy craft cheese. And you don't know what they put in there. Is it kosher? Is it not? Um, you know, it's called, we call it green zakam. They had the, they used this American cheese, uh, craft American cheese, and to make uh, something about that, to make this, uh, whatever, they put it on a, a, a bagel and put it into the, uh, and, and they put it on a tray, and, it, in the, and the cheese dripped over onto the tray. And then and that's the concern we have. That tray, is it kosher? Is it not kosher? Now, obviously, that we wouldn't use it. But here we have an, a possibility that since they claimed the trays that were throwaway trays, that we don't have to assume that the trays became trays because it's only a suffix. And we're starting out with something that we, in principle, is kosher to start with. That's the uh, back and forth in this question. However, it's very, very interesting. This, this din of Gminus Akum of non-kosher cheese is treated differently from every other durabonin. And here's how it's treated. A regular durabonin, a regular thing that's forbidden from the Torah, from the, from the Rabbanin, I'm sorry, is, is something that they, they're made up to prevent us from doing something wrong. Prevent us from an Isa Torah. But it's to prevent us from an Isa Torah. Okay? Um, you can't make... a can't, it can't be they're trying to protect us from a Durabonin. Let's say, for example, can I eat cheese and meat in the same sandwich? What they call a dogwood sandwich. I take cheese and meat and some uh, lettuce and tomato and put it on a sandwich. Maybe you'll put a pickle inside and you'll like it with a, whatever it is. Can I eat that? So everyone would say, of course you can't eat it. And I agree, you can't eat it. But is it asim in a toro or midurabonin? It's only awesome to eat the Rabbanan. Meat and milk together 
is only forbidden the abundance because we're worried you're going to go ahead and cook it. You're going to make a cheeseburger. Having a, a dogwood sandwich is only the abundance. A cheeseburger, if both things are kosher to start with, then it's called, it's called basa b'chalot, and it's forbidden from the Torah. So to prevent us from eating a cheeseburger, they said you can't even have a sandwich with, uh, with, with cheese and, 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 uh, and salami. That, that's forbidden because you might, come, you might make a cheeseburger. That's a, that's a kind of a bonindica institution. That is purely the abundance. The cheese and the, and the meat uh, that's mixed together, or uh, let's say they salted together, or pickled together, whatever it is, that's considered to be only osami the But Venus Akum, non-Jewish cheese, because they're concerned that it might have been really forbidden from the Torah, the thing itself, not you might come to do something else tomorrow, not that you would make a mistake or people will make mistakes, da, 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 da. No, this thing itself might be traced to Isa. So that, the, the Chazal gave this thing, this Venus Akum, a status that's like an Isha Torah, like it's forbidden from the Torah. And therefore, if there is such a, if there is such a concern, maybe it's Venus Akum, as the cookies in our story, then it's forbidden in the Torah. If it's if it because it looks like it's forbidden in the Torah, not it's really forbidden in the rabbis, but it's like it's forbidden in the Torah, because there's a concern of Anisa Doraisa. That's the way the Shach understands it, and basically, basic people understand the whole question. Now, in Shulchan Aruch, there's a couple of amazing things. One amazing thing is that the Ramah says something that <laughs> it boggles the mind in a certain sense. The Ramah says. That if uh, let me let me look at it here. It's be easier for me. Um, the Ramah says that here's the language of the Ramah. Even in Yisrael Roi'er Asias Hagavinov, if a Jew was there and he saw the making of the cheese, now. In this case, the man did not see the making of the cheese. We already established as Queen of Sarkov, right? But if you were there doing, you saw the making of the cheese, and the Khalifa, and you saw the milking of the cheese, making of the cheese and the milking of the cheese, according to Ramor, it would be mutter. You could eat cheese. If, in other words, according to Ramor, you do not need to have a, a, a rabbi put the coagulant inside to make the cheese. According to Ramor's words, you do not need to hire somebody to stand there and put something in in the production. So it's a non-Jewish company. They're using milk that they bought in the open market milk. And it's in America, so the assumption was it was, it was the milk itself is not, not uh, from a pig. So they're using the milk from the street, and they're making, they're making cheese. And the rabbi is there, but he doesn't do anything, doesn't lift a finger. He just is there, sees what the production is, and that's it. According to Ramon, it should be all right. We don't do that, the way. All of us, all the cautious agencies that we rely upon do actually have a mashkiach that inserts the coagulant, which is uh, some kind of uh, uh, plant-based rennet or something, whatever exactly it is, that, that, that coagulates and, and makes the cheese. They put it into the milk at a certain point, it has a, I just spoke to one rabbi who, who does it, and he, he told me that he has to go a certain, at a certain time, every hour, he has to insert it. And you know, if he misses it, then they're in trouble. So he only has a two-minute leeway in order to do this thing. And we talk about a big, big company, big bats, and whatever it is, he has to do it on, on time and make sure that he does That's his own job. He sits around doing whatever else he wants, but he must show up every hour, and the production goes through the night. There's nothing else he can do. He has to dabble by himself and eat by himself and live by himself and be there all the time, and that's what has to be done. In other, if, if we don't, if we hold like there are more, then you shouldn't have to do that at all. You should just have to be there, you know, just be in the plant, whatever, not necessarily do anything physical. 
So this question, the remorse says it, but the shach disagrees completely. The shach says, no, you must actually have produced that cheese by putting the coagulant in. You cannot rely on just seeing it, you know, being there on the premises. It doesn't work. That's what the, the shach says. But this issue of whether we should follow the remorse, the shach is very, very interesting. Because the Ramor himself, in two of his three books, he wrote Tobis Chattas and the Darke Moshe, and, the, and, and he, wrote the, uh, he wrote the Ramor, the, uh, the uh, Agos HaRamor. The, but in two out of the three, he says that you shouldn't do it. You should actually be there and, and be involved in the production, not just to rely on your sword. And this, qu- this question goes back and forth, and there's a, there are some who are like the shach, and some who are like the rom- words of the Ramor that we see in our Shulchan Aruch. And even the words of the Ramor in the Shulchan Aruch, it, the way it's understood is it's only that way with the Hefzibaruba, so it's, uh, you know, it's very hard to accept this Ramor. And, and when it comes down to the, to the final decision, basically most people are machmir like the shach, the the, the prima godam ends up that way, or the or the prechotish holds like the remor, but the 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 the, 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 the prima holds that like that. The grow the vilmagon holds like the like the shach, and and basically that's how the Torah world, the kashrus world, except for those that are doing a weak kashrus. There's a whole group that likes to take the easy way on everything. On a complicated topic like this, and just, I, I tell you, there's a truth from Moshe, I would be afraid to discuss it on the on the radio, even if I felt that I knew it perfectly. It's so involved. The whole topic is so involved. How do you go ahead and take a leniency against Gedolim like the Vilnagon, the Shach, you know, people that we basically say that's the halacha, and and we go, okay, he says something in the Ramoy, interpret this. It's not appropriate in our day and age where we have the availability of having mashkichim and producing kashras on a higher level. It's not die to go ahead and look for coolest, to take the easy way out, the lenient way. But there are people who are doing that and they grab every single leniency. I just spoke with a gentleman and he told me about a certain rabbi that he has to deal with who, who, who grabbed the hold of a, it says, it, he quoted a yesh omrim, which means an opinion that's in the Shulchan Aruch, and he uses that as his, as, as his, his reason for doing certain things. And my friend told me, he said, but the Shulchan Aruch, but the, all the commentaries say that we don't go with that. But he's taking one opinion, and that became his raison d'etre. That's, that's his way of doing things based upon this one opinion in halacha, and he grabs it. That's, that's not, that's not uh, fair. That's, that's not uh, real Torah. That's not real sock. That's a, that's, a, that's a misnomer, and that's what, unfortunately, we have a lot of people doing that today. It's a whole topic. I've talked about it before, about people who are going back in the 1950s and even earlier and taking all the tools that we had to have years and years ago and replacing what we built in Kashras, which is very, very high-level Kashras, and just tearing it all apart and say we don't need it. And they're, gonna, they're making mistakes, but we're left. Anyway, so the, the, the basic uh, point that I'm trying to bring out here, although I don't think I've finished the whole Juba yet, but the, the, the basic point is that we are machmir like the Shach, and we consider that you must actually be there and be present at the, at the milking, and you must be, we're assuming now we will talk about Chal Yisrael's issues. I'm not going to get lost in the Chal Yisrael, Chal Islam discussion. But the, uh, you, you, you have to have seen the Chaliva, and you must be there and actually insert something into the milk to make the coagulant, and that's the only way you, have, you avoid the Shiloh from Venus Akum, because it's such a strict law. So we see that we're going to be machmir on, on this question of whether or not it possibly the trays are trays. We're going to say those trays, if they had been used, would be trays. But there are other issues here. So Rabbi Gersten from the OU brings another point. He says, okay, 
we're going to be machmir if we have a suffix. But what about, it's only a town. It's not the actual gvina. It's only the flavor of the gvina that's into the, uh, into the trays. So are we going to extend the chumrah that we just said about suffix, the suffix gvina's akum, the chumrah, that we're careful about gvina's akum even when we have a suffix? Are we going to extend that also to this thing of the, uh, of the trays? So he says that based on the chid, the chidor that we we apply uh, in, in the note of Yehuda and the, the chidor say that if it was smeared with Venus Akam, it would consider it to be a suffix isa Torah. So if this was possibly had Venus Akam on the tray, it's a suffix doraisa lechumra. Because we're concerned about real trace. We look at the Kvina Zakum as if it were real trace. Or, or at least a suffix of trace. Which, which we also, in, in the trace, the derisa, we have to be machmir. Now, he goes on a little bit more and gets a little bit complicated. I, I don't want to, I don't want to finish the exact, you know, the all, all the If you will look up, look it up, I think you would enjoy it very much if you can understand all this material. It gets into a very, uh, deep issue in the Igras Moshe, in Reb Moshe Feinstein. Now, basically, the, here's how it, how it came out in this particular case. Since we know they use some disposable pans, right? We saw the pans there. There are Raglayim Ledover. There's some, you know, there's, there's reason to believe that they're telling the truth. The circumstantial evidence that these these people in the plant are telling me the truth that they that they didn't use any regular pans and that all the pans are still kosher. Even if they used some regular pans, it's unlikely they used the majority of the pans. In which case, the non-kosher pans would be bustled below. So even if the pans were not kosher, some pans are not kosher. We had more pans in the plant that were kosher than were not kosher, and therefore we can assume that we got from the rove. So they, that basically is how they came out at the OU. It's based on a lot of lumbus, and, uh, and that's how they handled the question. I, I don't want to go into it further, other than to tell you that what we do today with Gavinus, with, 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 with Gavinus Yisrael is on a high level. I don't know what happened uh, 40 years ago in America, 50 years ago in America, but every single kosher agency that's worth its, worth its uh, name of being a kosher, orthodox kosher agency is relying only on cases of where a Jew puts the coagulant into the cheese to make the cheese. And there's a whole topic about what that milk is and where it's coming from and how do we know. I can't get into that today. And uh, those people who are not not penachol Israel, so they're, they're they're relying, of course, with Moshe's hetter that uh, they, that we consider in America that the milk is only from cows because of the governmental control, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so that takes care of the first topic, and now I want to go on to tell you a few things that have happened uh, that came out. And these are these are hot off the press. There's, somebody came to me with this um, with this uh, this point, and I think I think it's very important. The Tropicana makes three products that sound almost the same and look almost the same. One is kosher and two are trace. So it's just a question of reading labels. Nothing secret, you know. Anything that anybody could do. Tropicana makes something called pure premium red grapefruit juice with pulp. That's okay certified. The Tropicana Pure Premium Red Grapefruit Juice with pulp. That's the, all the words. Now, here are the other ones that are no good. Tropicana Pure Premium Ruby Red Grapefruit Juice flavored with natural flavors. It has grape juice concentrate and carmine. Carmine is from beetles. And the grape juice is obviously not kosher grape juice. So two, out of two, two bad things. 
now the other one that's also no good is Tropicana 100% juice, ruby red grapefruit juice, blend, and it contains white grape juice. So, so uh, what you have to watch is that you're getting red grapefruit, that's the good guy, and the bad guy is ruby red grapefruit. That's the, that's the way to tell. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to tell. Of course, you look for the okay on the packaging, and I'm sure that, that, there, that it hasn't been mislabeled. There's no claim, claim mis, mislabeling. It's just very, very confusing to the consumer because of the similarity of the name and of the packaging. So watch out. The one you want is going to have an okay. So if you're doing grapefruit juice from Tropicana, make sure it has an okay on it every time you go to check because in the, in the, uh, in the store that you go to, they're probably right next to each other. Or sometimes they get this to live in instead of that. So that's a very big concern. Another concern that came up is um, Klein's Naturals. They make dark chocolate almonds. And they were sold at Costco, and mistakenly they say OKP. It really should just be say OK. There shouldn't be a P, and then it, it's then it's part of it. But if it says a P, it sounds like it's kosher lepesach, which it's not. So that's a thing to watch out for, and especially when it gets closer to pesach, it's very important to know. There are a lot of little things that come up every day, but I want to share with you a story that I came of him aware of just now. But I, I, it, I think it's the last two days. I, I put together a little piece on it. And uh, I, I think I came across something that uh, nobody really knows yet, although we will all hear about it because the company is going to spend a lot of money telling you the story. But I'm giving you the story first. No one else has said it to you, and you probably have never seen this before. It seems that we had this problem with the chicken. Now, let, let me explain to you. You and I eat chicken. In fact, many people eat chicken. They don't eat meat. They could figure they think... Meat is a shayla because it's so complex. I think you have a you you can get many many different companies today that make, that make meat products that are kosher and lechatchila and whatever. But there are some people who are very careful. Uh, I remember that Rabbi Zigdor Miller didn't eat meat; he only ate chicken. I don't know for how many years, but for most of the time, I mean, in America, he was very very uh, strict about that, and many people were that way. And now there's a question that came up of all our chickens. It seems to be what happened is that, and I don't understand it too well. Somebody got to explain it to me. There's a, there's a Rabbi Loiki at the OU, and some maybe will, maybe will explain it to me a little better. It seems that there's a, a, a pool of, of uh, you know, genes, and, 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 and if the chickens don't get new, a new kind of chicken in every once in a while, it, 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 they, they, uh, the, the flock diminishes and, and they die out. It doesn't, you need to get new blood into the, into the pool of genes and the, the pool of, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like, uh, we, it, it's referred to here, uh, what's it called again? It'll come up in a second. Uh, bloodlines, they call them. They need fresh bloodlines. It means new Genetic birds introduced to somehow helps the the flock grow better. I don't understand too well. Maybe somebody does, and maybe somebody will explain it to me. In any event, this is done all the time. So we didn't know this. I mean, I didn't know about it until recently. But we didn't. We weren't thinking along these along these lines when we saw birds that we knew to be kosher birds. This this kind of uh, there's certain Chicken, how do you know if a chicken is kosher? First of all, let's, how do you know about the birds being kosher? So in the Torah, it mentions the names of the non-kosher birds, but of course we don't know which they are anymore. So if there are, if Simonim were not mentioned, like in, a, in, a, in an animal, it gives you, in the, in the Torah, it tells you exactly 
what to look for. There's the split hooves and then, then the chewing the, the cud. And it's very, very simple to figure out what, which are kosher animals. And there's only four animals that have only one of the simonim and not the other. And it's one of the proofs that is true because how can you say it? If, it, if anyone would discover another one, they would say the Torah is not correct. So therefore, uh, this is a very big uh, proof of the Torah's accuracy. Oh, that's with meat. But what about chicken, birds? The answer is you have to know the names. We don't know the names. So the only way we can really 100% be sure is what we call misora, which means tradition, which means from people ate it 50 years ago. You know, our great-grandfathers ate it, and that's it. I mean, it goes down from generation to generation. The shochtim saw the bird. The shochtim, that's the bird. That's the same bird. That's the same bird. Now the question comes up, there are differences in birds, even if the same uh, species, there's differences and there's different, you know, uh, they develop somewhat differently in different places when they're growing the same bird. So the question is what's significantly different? You know, how, how close does it have to be? And the Kassam surface spends time on this, discussing how much you have to be similar to what you knew before and how much could it be look a little funnier? So that's a, that's a whole topic. In effect, in, in, in effect, what we're saying is we're eating birds that our grandfathers and great-grandfathers ate because they saw them. Now, most of us came from Europe. So therefore, we really want to know what was going on in Europe. Okay, there, was, there were Jews in America, and obviously they ate something. But uh, their tradition may be even older than some of ours, but still in all, it's hard to figure out. So, Europe was more recent, and uh, Gedoldi Israel, etc., etc., ate for the chicken in Europe. So we're assuming the ones that they ate were kosher, and now we have to see that we have the same variety. So you have an old sheikh, and he remembers shechting, and he remembers the birds, and he says, that's the same bird. And every 20, 30, 50 years, another, you know, he's given over a Masera to the next generation. And that's how we end up eating birds. That's basically it. Turk had his question on it, and not for tonight. But the, but, but, but the chicken, that's what we eat. So there's many different types of chicken. You may be, see, your chicken may look the same to you, but they're not the same. There's, you didn't see the live chicken. The, the live chicken, there's, there's many different varieties, hybrids, this and that. So we, we need a purebred. We don't want a hybrid because a hybrid could be any two mixed together. And there are some that we don't have a fur on. Some we have a Masoran, some we don't have a Masoran. So uh, of the varieties we have a Masoran, we should be good. But for this problem that they start introducing bloodlines to improve the quality of the chicken, and that's what messed this all up, and this has been going on for at least 40 years. At least 40 years they have been adulterating There are certain kinds of, uh, you know, different patterns. Let's say this this bird is gets a, is bigger. This bird goes, grows faster. This bird needs less feed. There, yes, we'll choose the type of things we want from some of the birds that we have, but the 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 actual the actual breed of the bird, that's the concern. We need a kosher breed that we could recognize from the past. So we thought we were good. And some people introduce the problem. It goes back, really. It goes back. Depends how you look at it. You can go. The, the, the thing that came up in 2017 was called Breckel, B-R-A-E-K-E-L. The Breckel bird was brought to Israel from Europe. It basically was. Uh, they took it from uh, Belgium, and and they put it in Israel and started growing it. And the reason that is that. Is because in 1998, Rabbi Shmuel Vosner wrote a letter, open letter, saying that we challenging all the chickens we're eating, based upon what I just told you. He said they don't have a proper masora, and it caused a sensation. So he had a lot of followers, and his followers decided we have to fix the situation. So what are we going to do? Let's go to somewhere in Europe, because that's where we all came from. And, uh, I mean, most of us, anyway, I assume, uh, came from Europe. 
not Svartim, okay, not this, not that, but this story, most of us came from Europe. And we, we, uh, we ate something over there. So let's go and find what they call heirloom bird, an heirloom bird. An heirloom is a, is a type of uh, bird that, that is from the old stock. In other words, there are, there are special farmers that love this idea of growing the old birds. Remember, the bird today gets very fat, very quick. He's only a few weeks old when he's slaughtered, and he's, he gets fat quick, and they get rid of him quick, and they make a lot of money. That's the whole, uh, the whole business about raising chickens. You know, the faster, the less feed, and the and the heavier, the the heavier, the the, the the white meat is more expensive than the dark meat, and so therefore they got to get a lot of white meat. And they, you, you, if you look at pictures, it's it's fascinating to see what the old chickens used to look like and the chickens today look like. The chickens today look like giants, and the old chickens look like midgets and uh, and skinny midgets, and they look like the fat giants today. And if you've seen it, even your time, I mean, the last 20 years, I remember seeing that the, the polkas and the, the dyes and the this and the that get thicker and thicker and fatter. And, it's, of course, that's all meat. And they're selling meat because they're selling by pounds. So that's the whole theory of the raising these birds. So what happened is they decided to take the breckel because the breckel has a big mother. It goes back all the way till 1415. That's not uh, how many Ashkachas there are in the, in the world. That's 14, one th- in the year 1416. That's when the Breckel was first appearing in Belgium. So they figured if, he's ma- if they're selling Breckels, and Breckels is in the 1400s, and, and people said that that was a kosher bird. I don't know how they know, but that was a kosher bird. And they figured we are safe with the breckel. And that's what we're going to bring to Israel. And we're only going to eat breckel from now on. And that's what they plan to do. And they, they put a lot of effort into it. Of course, the money, etc. And it was a disaster. But it was a disaster for several reasons. One is the breckel, it doesn't taste that good. <laughs> and it doesn't grow that fast. And it's, so it's expensive. So it, it just doesn't work. It just it was not a good choice, but that they didn't do it for that. They wanted to make sure it's really kosher. Problem is that they got a split. Some of people, some rabbis claim this is a bird that grew to be kosher, and others claim no. And they had problems with it. Maybe it wraps its foot around a certain way on the bar. There's certain simonim that maybe makes it like a derace. It possibly is a bird of prey. So this threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing, and it's been going on since then. And people are saying, some of the people, of course, are saying, well, we can't eat any chickens at all. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, the, the way they're doing it and uh, created a major, major situation in Israel. And in America, too. But, I mean, the, the America is much quiet, and Israel is very loud. So what's, what's the, what happened now? So I just saw this, and I flipped. It was amazing. The Cobb 500. <laughs> the Cobb 500. What's the Cobb 500? That's a breed of chicken. Cobb 500. Cobb is the name of a company. Cobb, uh, it's, a, it's an old company. It started in 1916 in Littleton, Massachusetts. Cobb pedigree chicks. And uh, they eventually were became Cobb Tris, which is the name now, and they're located in Arkansas. Their main office is in Arkansas. But they're bought out by Tyson, the big company, Tyson, Tyson Foods, trace 100%. But now they got, you ready for this? They got two hashkochas on the breed called Cobb 500, a special breed. And they got two Ashkachas. Who were the two Ashkachas? The OU and the Badats of the Eidah HaKaredis. But that's going to mean a lot. It's going to mean, and how it happened is very interesting. And of course, I don't have the story complete. I've, I've sent out a feeler to try to get 
a complete story and to work on it with the company or with the rabbis. It's a very, very interesting story. It, it involved a number of rabbis, some of them I know. I know the rabbi from the, from the Eid HaKaredes who was in here. He's an English-speaking rabbi. Knows his, he knows his way in the English language, and, he, and he, he came in, and they took him around for this company, and he spoke to the geneticists, and he wanted to make sure that it's really, you know, not been manipulated. And he, and he went into, and he, there was a, there's a Rabbi Loiki from the Chaim Loiki from the OU. He was there. And uh, I forgot who all the other people were. There was a number of other people there, too. Yes, there's one other rabbi uh, from... I don't know if I, I have it in the story. Yes, Rabbi Palachik, Beryl Palachik, or Palachik, who was, who was a big n- name in the meat business. And uh, he's from uh, Vadakashvis Meged Yehuda, very well known. And they studied this intensely and saw it, and they signed on. Well, first the OU signed on, and afterwards the Badiyeda Haredi signed on, and they're accepting that this bird is a kosher-type bird, which means that Tyson Foods will be producing most of the chickens that you and I will eat for the rest of our life. That's what I'm gathering. Unless somebody can come up with uh, another chicken which has, which has all this, this backing for it, this is the chicken that's going to be our dinner from now on, is I, I assume. Because uh, that's very, very, uh, yeah. It was also, uh, Satmer was also there. I don't know if Satmer signed on or not. At this point, I don't have any information that Satmer signed on. But there was a representative of Laser Teitelbaum from uh, Yatev Leves the Satmer who also went to the plant. And I, I, maybe he will sign, and maybe he won't. In any event, the, the point is that they created a chicken. They have a chicken. Which goes back, and it was, it's a very interesting. Also, I, in my article, I just said how it, how they developed this chicken, uh, but they they stand behind it. These two hashgachas researched this, and came out that this is a reliable company, a reliable bird, a reliable breed, and has has good backing to it. And Hisakpas Harabon, I'm sorry, the Eda Charedis and the OU actually giving hashkacha to a breed of chicken. But not the chickens themselves. This company makes the cop, sells it all over, and teaches you how to raise the chicken. And they're basically the suppliers of the entire chicken business. They're one of the biggest. And it, it, it originally made it just for themselves. And then, then eventually, um, it, it went to Tyson... It was not made for Tyson. I mean, Tyson bought out Cobb, so it was being made just for, for Tyson. But eventually, other companies, a very interesting company, well, I'll tell you the name, you'll be surprised. The name is OK Foods, just the way you sound, OK. Chickens also, and all kinds of uh, development with eggs and chickens. And this company, the Tyson does it too. And Cobb 500 is the popular one of right now. Interestingly enough, they have other numbers. There's a 700, and I think a thousand. They're not yet certified. So uh, the 500 is is what we're going to be using, in my humble estimation, for for many years to come, unless another competitor jumps into the market. Amazing how Kashrus develops into so many areas. I mean, we had this thing with the marijuana, which is definitely uh, an interesting development in the kosher world and is having a very, very profound effect. At the kosher fest, we saw, uh, not medical, we saw uh, marijuana products. They couldn't be brought into New York, but they were brought into New Jersey. And Benach Gokhas on them. And this is a, definitely a wave of the future. So they explained to me these were relaxants. And there are very, very minimal uh, things in there, and, there's, and it, it isn't something that uh, has the negative effects of the other uh, products. And uh, they, they, uh, they uh, I saw that they told that sometimes they mentioned you should only use a certain amount. It seems to be that it's a, a wave of the future, whether we like it or not. And now we have 
an interesting solution to a, a technical problem that has been, you know, stymieing the kosher market in, in certain segments, the ones of the, the people who had not been eating chicken for all this time, very possibly they will accept this chicken, the Cobb 500, and it would be something that uh, will, will, will be acceptable to them on all standards. Uh, again, you and I can eat whatever chicken we have for tonight for supper, and you can use it, to, and you can buy it any you want anywhere. We're saying that this is going to solve the problem for some people. It's a major chicken anyway, so this, so it's a non, it's a no-brainer. Uh, if I want to get that Hasidic market or that extreme market or whatever it is, who is only eating the, who had problems eating birds, now I have him. So it, it's a, it gives a financial lift to anybody who buys it. So wouldn't you want to start shechting only Cobb 500? This way you're going to sell in a lot of areas you couldn't sell before. And you can make products that will go with to the Israel, etc., and, and get it accepted. I predict that this will be the wave of the future, but again, I don't know. This is just something I saw, came across my desk a few days ago, and uh, shared it with you. It gives you a little bit of an idea, a snapshot of the things that are happening in Kashas today. As I always say, uh, you, can, you can contact me. We've been giving out uh, the number of the 7185, uh, the 7183368544, but I would suggest that you uh, temporarily, because uh, that number is no, not always working, you can reach us at 732-534-0416. 732-534-0416. That's another one of our numbers. And uh, you can always reach us over kashrus at aol.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at aol.com. We're working now on the Hanukkah issue. We hope to get it out real soon. Anybody who wants to get a subscription, want to sign up, uh, you want to get uh, the kosher supervision guide or the kosher travel guide, or any of the products that we deal with, or the kosher, the kosher monthly, just give us a ring at uh, 732-534-0416, or send us an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Let me share with you uh, another, another uh, uh, maybe a couple, we have a few minutes left, I'll share with you a few of the uh, mislabeled products that are out there now, which you might not be hearing about so fast. One is uh, there's a company called Nuts.com, and uh, they make uh, chocolate things and, and nuts, and they're on, they're on, you, get, you get them on Nuts.com. It, it, it says, uh, which is, would be fine, except that the product is dairy. They're, they're Nuts.com dark chocolate covered espresso beans sugar-free. So... Even though it's um, dark, which everybody always thinks that means it's part of it, but it's not true. And this particular one is dairy, and it only says a plain okay. So that's nuts.com, dark chocolate-covered espresso beans, sugar-free. Another one, which uh, unfortunately came up also, it's called It's Raining Chocolate. That's the name of the product. It's Raining Chocolate. They said OKDE, and really it's okay. I'm sorry, OKD. It says OKDE, but it's really OKD. Uh, there's uh, another interesting one, and this is something that might affect some of our people here. Elite Dark Chocolate Bar, 60% cocoa solids with no added sugar. That's the name of the product. Elite Dark Chocolate Bar, 60% cocoa solids with no added sugar. So it has a double hashkacha. Ada Hakaredis, dairy, and on the other side of the bar, of the bar it says, Bet Yosef, parva. So it says parva, and it says dairy. And there's two Ashkachas, and one is No, it can't be that way. The truth is, it's the Badats, and it's dairy. I don't know if the the, 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 the Bet Yosef is on it or not, but they are, but they're not. doesn't make a difference. But the Badats is on it, so the, the Elite Dark Chocolate Bar, 
60% cocoa solids with no added sugar is dairy with the badats of the Eidacharetis. So that gives you a little bit of, of what's happening in the world of kashas today. And until next week, this is your host by Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. Anywhere, anytime, for everyone. 